humans. Humans. It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950, talking to you from the bunker. And I might add, the bunker that's covered with snow on top of snow. I mean, we are uh, just past a blizzard that dumped 16-plus inches out where I live. Um, and now uh, there literally are piles of snow on top of piles of snow. Okay, I mean, I'm walking my, my boy Jack, and the it's a trench. It's literally a trench on the sidewalk that comes up to somewhere between my my thigh and my hip. Okay, all right, all right. Well, you don't you didn't tune in for the weather report. Rather, I know you're here uh, because, like me. Perhaps you are an idealist, or at the very least, you enjoy hearing about idealists and their work. And we have another great show. The big interview is with Dr. Keith Mays, uh, who teaches African-American studies at the University of Minnesota. We're going to talk about anti-wokeism, about how we can get past that, um, and you'll find that interview to be uh, fascinating. And of course, in my C block, I'll talk about my work as an idealist, but here in the A block... I want to start off with a young idealist, a transgender man and lawyer um, with the American Civil Liberties Union. His name is Chase Strangio. And in a few minutes, I'm going to play a clip that will demonstrate why uh, Chase Strangio is this week's uh, featured idealist. But first, let me give you some basics. Uh, Chase Strangio is 40 years old. He's a graduate of Grinnell College in Iowa. Okay, that's a plus. And, uh, and then he's also graduated from Northeastern Law School in Boston, um, the city near where he grew up. And, of course, the city I'm familiar with because I went to law school out there as well. Chase came out uh, as a transgender man while in law school. And in 2010, after graduating from law school, he began public service work. And by 2013, he was hired by the ACLU, where he's had this incredibly good fortune to be involved in some of the most important LGBTQ plus civil rights cases of the last decade and a half, including representing Chelsea Manning. Uh, She was the transgender U.S. Army soldier who was jailed for spilling secrets about U.S. atrocities in Iraq. He was also involved uh, with Gavin Grimm's case, he, Gavin was a transgender boy in, in high school in Virginia who sued after the school refused to allow him to use a bathroom that aligned with his gender identity. They didn't let him use the, the boy's restroom. Um, Chase Strangio was also one of the lawyers on the Bostock decision. That's the 2020 U.S. Supreme Court case where the Supreme Court, and trust me, I don't believe if it – came up to them again today. I don't believe that they would would have ruled this way with the way the court has become. But in 2020, the court ruled that federal law, uh, Title VII, prohibited discrimination against LGBTQ plus people, particularly transgender people. Now, Brett, my lovely producer extraordinaire, is going to play a long clip of Tra- Chase Strangio testifying before a legislative committee in Tennessee Uh, in opposition to a proposed bill that would ban gender-affirming care for minors. This testimony occurred on February 1. Now, this clip is six minutes long. I just want to let you know that. And ordinarily, I've got to tell you, I would never offer up such a long clip for you. But, and you can find this clip also on Facebook. All you're going to have to do is Google Chase Strangio 
testifying before Tennessee legislature. But I wouldn't ordinarily offer this up, but I am offering it up, six minutes and all, because what you're about to hear is not only represents some of some exceedingly exceptional lawyering by a lawyer who's not been out all that long, okay? But it also succinctly summarizes the oppression that transgender youth and their families face with what's going on in America right now. Now remember, he's being, he is testifying, essentially arguing, before a legislative committee in the Tennessee legislature. So listen now, and I'll be back at the end of the clip. Three minutes. Mr. Strangio, you're recognized. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman uh, and members of the committee. My name is Chase Strangio. I am testifying in opposition to the bill on behalf of the ACLU and the ACLU of Tennessee. Um, I am Deputy Director for Transgender Justice at the ACLU. I have been an attorney at the ACLU for 10 years. I am currently lead counsel in the ACLU's challenge to Arkansas's ban on care that looks a lot like this one, as well as in ACLU's challenge to Texas's child abuse directives that look similar to the amendments that have just been passed by this committee. So I speak to you today as someone who is actively litigating these issues about the constitutional implications as well as the cost to the state of Tennessee and Tennessee taxpayers. Courts across the country have recognized that bills like this impermissibly violate the equal protection and due process rights of adolescents, doctors, and their parents. The Northern District of Alabama, the Eighth Circuit, and the Supreme Court of Texas have all enjoined measures like this one because they have found that they represent government overreach and intrude upon the fundamental rights of parents to govern the medical decision-making of their minor children, as well as the equal protection rights of transgender adolescents and the doctors who care for them. I just got out of a two-week trial in Arkansas in which many of the legislative findings that are in this bill were tested in which they were found to be categorically untrue. And just by way of a few examples, it is not true that this medical care is experimental not in the scientific nor in the colloquial sense. There are decades of studies testing the efficacy and safety of this treatment. It is also not true, as the amendment states, that care has been banned in Finland, Sweden, or the United Kingdom. And to the contrary, in the United Kingdom, care has been expanded to regional centers. And Dr. Cass, who is the author of the Cass Report, who is often cited in support of legislation like this, has made clear that her report has been misrepresented and rather than being inconsistent with medical standards, this medical treatment is provided pursuant to medical standards that are supported, as the Representative Mitchell has said, by every major medical association in the United States. Because this law infringes the fundamental rights of parents and discriminates based on sex and transgender status, it triggers strict scrutiny, or at least heightened scrutiny, which means it will be the government's burden to defend it in court. And Tennessee, like Alabama, like Texas, like Arkansas, will not be able to do so. Already in Arkansas, costs and fees alone for plaintiffs have been over $3 million. The state of Alabama has not yet reached trial and has spent $1.7 million defending their bill, to say nothing of the cost they will likely owe to plaintiffs due to attorney's fees. And because I only have a short amount of time, I want to quickly address the issue of the child abuse. The sponsor of the bill indicated that there are no criminal penalties attached but abuse and neglect proceedings are civil. I cannot think of a greater intrusion into the fundamental rights of parents than the prospect of losing custody of one's child. Gentlemen, your time is up, but I'll give you 30 more seconds. Please, please, please. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I do appreciate it. Um, 
And I, I, I just, I just want to say, and, and I know that we'll be hearing from Ms. Cole later, and I've heard her speak before. I don't believe she has ever said that her parents are to blame. And what is at risk of happening is that parents who are following the medical advice of doctors are at risk of losing their children. Multiple people were supposed to come here today to testify, but they were too afraid. I am concerned about what this means for families in Tennessee and for the cost that this will inevitably bestow on taxpayers. And Chairman Leatherwood, you're recognized for a question. Thank you. Given your experience with similar, similar legislation in other states, I wonder, in your opinion, what might remedy the problems with this legislation? Gentleman's recognized. Uh, Thank you. So just two parts. I, I will say that as someone who is transgender myself, who has benefited from this care, whose life has been saved by this care, I oppose this bill in its entirety. I will say what concerns me perhaps most in this moment is the amendment about the child abuse. I am worried that it sets a slippery slope. At what point is some other medical decision that parents make? I, I, you know, every time I go to the pediatrician, I ask a lot of questions about my 10-year-old, and there aren't always answers. There isn't always clarity about what something might look like in five years, in seven years. We don't know a lot in medicine. And so what we're saying here is that the state might come in and punish a parent who is trying to do right by their child, a parent who loves their child, as I know all of us as parents do. And when our children are suffering, it is excruciating. I, I think that we can agree on that. And the last thing that we need to be do, doing is punishing parents for trying to help their children. And I, it is not through the criminal law that the most egregious forms of punishment sometimes happen to parents because abuse and neglect proceedings are civil in nature. So I think that that is something that this committee should look very seriously at, whether right now or whether when the committee takes it up uh, as, the, as the full committee. Um, I think this is something that we have never seen quite frankly, um, in the way in which the government regulates medicine to categorically deem something as potential child abuse. And I will say, for those of you who are lawyers, the Supreme Court of Texas, the Eighth Circuit, these are not places where so-called tra transgender ideology has taken hold. Governor Hutchison in Arkansas vetoed a similar piece of legislation because he said this represents vast government overreach. And I can't think, I heard, hear a lot about parents' rights. What about the rights of parents who are trying to help their suffering children? And even if we disagree about ultimately the efficacy or the safety of this care or whether it's good or bad to be transgender, I happen to think it's a normal variation of human existence. But even if we disagree about that, these are parents whose kids are hurting. Any further questions or comments? Seeing none, thank you very much. Uh, last individual on our list is... Okay. <laughs> Now, hopefully, um, you appreciated why I let you listen to a six-minute clip of Chase Strangio. Um, that was some of the best lawyering I've heard in a long, long time. And I will tell you this. Some of it worked. On Thursday, uh, the <laughs> – and some of it didn't. On Thursday, the uh, Tennessee legislature um, – passed a, um, legislation to ban gender-affirming care in Tennessee. But what they took out of the proposed bill was anything relative to abuse and neglect, any, the, any provision that would enable a parent or a guardian to, 
to be the subject of civil penalties for working to have their children get gender-affirming care. So Chase Trangio's um, argument hit its mark in that regard. But still, Tennessee will join now. The list is getting long. I don't even know. I think we're approaching 10 states, maybe a dozen states, banning gender-affirming care for youth under the age of 18. All right, when we come back, I'm going to give you my C block. um, And excuse me, when I come wrong, when I come back, you're going to get uh, Dr. Keith Mays, and then you'll get my C block. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me if you'd like at elliejkrug at gmail. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. I want to take the breakfast Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Uh, Chase Strangio, that's a name to remember, as I said in the, in the last uh, segment. Just a name to remember. And now for the big interview, here is another name not only to remember but to know. I have with me uh, Dr. Keith Mays. He is an associate professor um, of African-American and, and African Studies at the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Minnesota. He's also an author. He's got a brand new book out uh, titled The Untouchables, which I'm going to have him – excuse me, The Unteachables, which I'm going to have him talk about. And he is a past commentator for CNN News. So, Dr. Dr. Mays, Keith, welcome back to LE 2.0 Radio. We had you on about two years ago. I am thrilled to have you back. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, Ellie. Uh, How are you? Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be back. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Now, you know, Keith, uh, you, uh, you and I have, have both had – you've been on the show previously and then you and I have actually worked together in the past, you know, speaking to audiences about issues around skin color and, and uh, oppression and marginalization and things of that nature. And I wanted to have you come – have you back um, in part to talk with you about what's going on right now in the country – with this horrific, that's I think the right word I can use, okay, anti-wokeism movement that's going on. And, and you know, the movement is, is it's pretty broad-based, okay, because it's, it's, you know, attacking LGBTQ people, particularly trans people, but people of color, um, you know, people who are not born in the U.S. I mean, it, it's very broad-based. What Give us some some of your observations. I mean, this is right up your alley, of course, right? And tell us what what you what are you seeing and what are you thinking? So, Ellie, if we take the long view, uh, this this current iteration of anti wokeism uh, is not that unusual because uh, there is a, a, a long history of I call it either a racial backlash movement or a backlash against progressive movements uh, that go all the way back to the 19th century. But principally you can, you can kind of chart its evolution in the 1930s with uh, people like Huey Long and father Colin and and going up through the sixties and certainly uh, in the eighties with Reagan under Reagan and even under Bush and even now. 
um, you know, it's funny. So anti-wokeism, uh, uh, 20 years ago, it was calling it PC uh, to be politically correct. So again, there, there's a lineage here that seemingly is always present, uh, which is uh, an anti-progressive counter movement or pushback. I always talk about uh, in my classrooms when I teach the civil rights movement, I, I tell my students, say, listen, there's always going to be a white backlash counter movement to it. Uh, it, it just seems that it's something that's baked within our political system that the, the forces of, uh, pro- progression, uh, will always be countered by the forces of reaction and, and the forces of reaction, as you just, as you said, uh, writ large, it includes people who are, um, who engage, engage in white supremacy and racism. They engage in all kinds of uh, homophobia and transphobia. Uh, they engage in anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric uh, and produce policies around that. So I think we are uh, in, in a moment where that that anti-woke movement has has crystallized to such a degree that is an infected the body politic. Uh, whereas we, we see some real harms being done. Uh, not in the, not only in the judiciary, right, but also in in the legislature. Oh, wh- whether those those legislatures be local, state, or federal, uh, and that's un- unfortunate. But we just have to understand <clears throat> what we are witnessing and what we're seeing. It's 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 a normal part of of, of our politics, unfortunately. Well, you know, um, in the segment before uh, me speaking with you right now, I've talked about. Um, Chase Strangio, who is a lawyer with the ACLU and who's fighting, you know, this anti-transgender, you know, gender-affirming care legislation that's going on across the country. And I don't want to get into, you know, the false equivalencies or anything like that. But, but, but Keith, think about this right now as it relates to transgender people. We have mechanisms of the state passing law after law directed at a particular group of humans, which would be transgender people, which is, I mean, isn't this reminiscent of what laws were being passed in the early 19th, uh, you know, hundreds, you know, around, you know, uh, taking away the votes of black people, disenfranchising black people, all of the Jim Crow laws, the segregation. Isn't this reminiscent of that? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and are you getting PTSD as a consequence of seeing these laws going after another community? Okay. And, and, and for me, I just got to tell you, it is, it is emotionally crushing even though we live, thank God, right? We live here in progressive Minnesota. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it's all over the country, Ellie. And you, you, you're, you're correct about that. There may be some pockets of the country, some regions of the country uh, that, that, may, that may appear uh, more hospitable to people who are different. But I think this, the forces are, are, of reaction uh, are, are the same. And, and I appreciate what you're saying about the false equivalency, but, you know, we can set that aside for now and we can have a different debate about and how these these movements are, are equal or not equal. But I think if we look at the progressive community as a whole, we are always in that together. 
you know, whether we are black or brown, queer, <laughs> trans, immigrant, it doesn't matter. They come after all of us yep. uh, with the same ferocity. So the question for us is, do we engage in a movement uh, that's wholesale, that's whole, that, that's, that's, that encompasses all of us? Uh, because at the end of the day, the result will be the same, that we are all we are all we, we are marginalized now. But certainly one can make the argument that they don't want us to exist at all. Right. And so the, so the question <laughs> right. becomes, how do we actually mobilize internally within the progressive movement to to forestall all of this activity that's coming at us? Uh, with, with such with such force. Well, brother, tell me what should we be doing, okay? Because I am, you know, I I mean, I'm trying to do my small little part, okay, out in, you know, Carver County, but I feel woefully that it's not at all enough. And 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 what, Keith? Do we just ride this out? Uh, you know, I mean, you talk about mobilization and and. Mobilization, you know, obviously looks different in downtown Minneapolis than it does in downtown Chaska, you know, Minnesota. And, and w- what can we do? I think we have to show up for one another, but we have to understand, uh, as Kimberly Crenshaw talked about, uh, intersectionality. And right. that's not only she wasn't only talking about identities at the surface level. She was talking about how power is interwoven with the identities in the in the dominant in the uh, subject um, um, uh, positions that we that we hold. So as a as a as a, as marginal subject positions, we have to see that we we may embody many of those, not just one. So you know, what is it to me? What is it does it be uh, a black, uh, trans, disabled? Huh. All together, and how do we sort of mobilize around not only our own particularity uh, in one body, but how do we see ourselves in somebody else who may not share one of those marginalities? And 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 I think that if I don't see myself in you, Ellie, and you don't see yourself in me, we can't create the mass movement that's necessary to push back the, the forces of reaction. And so I think that oftentimes we we. We show up for one another when it's convenient. And what I mean yeah. by that, when, 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 when there is an injustice that there's a consensus about, like the murder of George Floyd. Um, but I think that once we, uh, when, when we don't have that kind of impetus, do we, do, we, do we show up? And what does it take for us to come out and mobilize? I think the only thing that pushes those folks back is mass mobilization. I haven't seen anything else that works, Ellie. So because this mass mobilization, that gets you the new legislation. It yeah. produces new laws. It produces new pol- politicians. It produces all the things that affect change. So, again, if, if it doesn't start at the grassroots level, uh, that's intersectional within, you know, within and through all of our communities. Uh, uh, we won't we won't really gain much, much advancement, unfortunately. Well, Keith, I mean, where is the mobilization these days? I mean, I. Yeah, I mean, obviously, after, as you say, after George Floyd, I mean, this country went through a stage that was unbelievable, mm-hmm. you know, but but I fear, you know, that fatigue has set in um, and that uh, um, division, internal divisions have set in one way or another and and we're not going to get 
you know, the crowds in the streets, which is really what you're talking about. And, and, and are we going to get the crowds where they need to be? You know, having the crowds in downtown Minneapolis is one thing, but having the crowds in downtown Chattanooga, okay, you know, or downtown Oklahoma City, um, those are those are different things. But here's the thing. I would say that mass mobilization is only a part of it. Okay. I think a lot of movement is what we're not seeing. And I think the movements are happening in, in smaller pockets. There are people like yourself. There are people who are working at very local levels around many of these, these different issues, whether it be environmental justice, reproductive justice, uh, racism, whatever the case may be. I think you, just, you have organizations <clears throat> and people on the ground uh, working on behalf of, of, of a smaller movement. But again, that may tie into to, to our larger movement. So I, I, I don't think we're sleeping or there's no activity if we don't see a whole lot of crowds in the streets. I think that we are at work because, you know, again, people who have been put upon will not, you know, sit idly by and allow that to happen. They will always fight to make to make life better. And they do that in ways that are often invisible. So I would not I wouldn't say, you know, let's let's just find where the mass mobilizations are. Uh, I I would say that it, it would be great if that people who are marginal understand themselves as multiple, multiply marginal in ways that they could connect with other people who they may not see as part of their community. I think that's the first step. Right. You know, again, if I if I'm if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a cis man black, you know, like what is that? What like, I'm not I don't have all of the dominant identities, right? I only have uh, a few. So but I share more in common with people who may not who may not be black and 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 straight. So what what where how can I how can I connect with people? Uh and how can I understand myself beyond right. my own particularity? And I think that that's the that's the key. Uh and again, it it takes people like yourself, it takes people like me to to find other place, other people who to, to work with, to connect with and work with on, on various issues. Well, you sound, I mean, on this end of the mic, you sound optimistic still. I do. Okay. I am. I am. I'm optimistic only because, you know, there are times when I'm down and I'm, I, I keep, you know, there's another uh, killing of a, of a young black man in, in, in the streets, you know, that, that gets me down yeah, yeah. Uh, because I keep saying that, okay, it, it, the same thing keeps occurring. It, it seems to be no end to it. But, but if you think about any uh, movement in the past, I mean, they didn't work at these issues uh, for a month or for a year. It was multiple years. No, that's, I mean, for sure. That, that it took, you know, that, that, that whether it be the civil rights movement, whether it was the gay rights movement in the 1960s, you know, the gay rights movement turned into um, LB. They added the other letters over the decades. Well, uh, yeah, they, and that's, that's important for us to remember. The th- well, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, um, what gay men had was um, what really turned the tide as it relate, related at least to AIDS, is they had act up. You know, they had act up. They had radical gay men willing to throw fake blood on legislators, you know, go up to them and, you know, and be in their face, throw fake blood at them, demand that they do, res- you know, fund research for this horrible disease that was going on. You know, the, the civil rights movement, of course, okay, you know, you had 
Dr. King, you had you know John Lewis, you had all of that organized um, movement going on. The the transgender community that of course I represent, we don't have an ACT UP, and we don't certainly don't have a Dr. King. Okay, um, and 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 I think that it's uh, I think that it's making it so much easier for us to be the targets um, for the oppression because you know the legislators feel that it you know they're acting with impunity. You know I'm thinking of. You know, what was it, 65, 66, when the Black Panthers walked into the California State House with their shotguns and long guns? Do you, you remember yep, that? I do. Yep. And you remember the, I mean, you remember the shock that that sent across, mm-hmm. you know, California. I mean, they, they walked in because it was legal for them to do that, you know. And, but the shock that it sent, um, and of course, that, you know, that made the target on their backs all the much bigger um, as a consequence. But nonetheless, they showed up with power um, when they walked into the state house. You know, transgender, we, we just, we, we have nothing. And, um, and it just, I mean, it just, um, for me, it's just incredibly frustrating. I didn't want this to come into a talk about transgender people because I really want to. No, no, wanna, no, I, I, I appreciate that because I, I think the, 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 the transgender movement uh, as its own individual movement or as a subset of the larger lbgtq plus movement is about a certain kind of evolution in that movement that is allowing us to have this conversation so you we, we may not know who the the so-called uh dr martin luther king of the transgender uh, uh, community is i'm quite sure they're out there but i think that the the the, the advancement of the conversation about transgender people and rights as well as transgender visibility has grown in the last 20 years. So I think there's momentum there. I, I don't know if we need a messiah, uh, somebody who's, who's at the forefront, but I'm not quite sure, Ellie, that it's not coming. It may be around the corner as well. <laughs> so I think that there, there, there are two things that's happening. One, a lot of people are doing the work of advancing uh, transgender rights. And two, I think we may still see that mass mobilization of transgender people along with uh, that community's allies. And those are the black yeah. folks who, who, <laughs> who uh, the brown folks, the immigrant folks, those are all because again, transgender people are all of those things together. You yeah. know, it's like transgender people, it's just, just something. No, they, it, what is it? What is it to be an immigrant, trans, black, uh, disabled, uh, um, uh, 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 insane person all roll into one. Well, that's a lot of people, right? <laughs> so, so if we, so if we can actually mobilize around those particularities, I think that um, you know that that movement as well as others can be very, very uh, powerful and forceful in the in the years to come. And I think I think we are, we haven't seen anything yet from the transgender movement. I don't think we we've seen it. It's it's still it's still evolving. Nascent, yeah. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me for a second. Uh, tail end of a cold. Uh, Keith, let's talk about your book, okay, The Unteachables. Tell us about what the book is about and um, some of the conclusions that you found in your research. So, so the book is about the history of racialized special education and how the categories like emotional behavior disorder and learning disability, intellectual disability, 
how that how those categories evolved over time and how they became overrepresented with black and brown students uh, even to this the, even to this day even to this very day is still uh, there's a still a, a, a racial disproportionality in special education in in these disabilities so I try to chart the history the long history of it and talk about uh, psychology as a field uh, we, we we believe that the, the science of disability is always always good but I, I point out that it, sometimes it goes off course because it invents people it creates people that weren't there before and what does it mean to be somebody who's you know called intellectually disabled if if, if if that only means I'm two or three grades behind in my studies you know so the question we used to call these people mentally retarded they changed the name um, over the years but the question is why did I have to be labeled at all, uh, at, at all if I was a couple of grades behind so I, I, I grapple with that in the book and I talk about the early history of eugenics and uh, educational psychology as as a fields that emerged to create these people and how what kind of implications are, uh, do we have today around these labels? And I know that we've got educators that to, uh, tune into this show. If somebody wants to find that book, where would they go to get the book? Oh, they can get it from Amazon or uh, they could go right directly to the U- University of Minnesota Press and order the book. Um, I don't know if I have a copy of the book. And I should have been like one of you know when you on MSNBC, CNN, <laughs> you, they interviewing a, a scholar. They have the book right behind on the shelf. Yeah, I don't have that. Uh, I, I, next time, Elliot, I'll Keith, have we got to right we got to talk to your marketing agent a little <laughs> <Exactly>. bit here. <laughs> Man, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> so, so tell me. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about more about your work. I mean, you you have been on CNN. I mean, I heard you on CNN, and I thought you did a really great job. Uh, do you have more of those gigs coming up? How did that come about for you? I think over the years, uh, appearing on uh, cable news networks was it. It always had to do with some larger, broader issue in the country that was about race or social justice or movements uh, that they began to interview me, I think it kicked up to another level uh, after the tragic murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And they were always looking for, you know, so-called experts on this and that. And so uh, I started to do a lot of it uh, uh, right around then. But I also do it uh, as it relates to my research. So one of the things I'm on oftentimes is for... uh, uh, holidays and observances and Black History Month. So my first book was on uh, Black History Month and Kwanzaa and Black Holidays and Juneteenth. I wrote about that. And so periodically I, they pulled me on for that. But it dep- it's always something social justice related. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I thought you did a great job the one time that appreciate I heard you that. on. So, you know. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So we're, we're down to the last minute. What, what, what would you like to leave the audience with, Keith, about – you know, where America is right now. You, you've already talked about being optimistic. What would you tell my audience, which is largely, you know, older, white, straight, cis people? Not entirely, though. Okay. All right. But what, what, what do you want to leave them with? That they, they should understand the rightness and the righteousness of social movements, that, that people, when they are out there agitating, for more rights. That, that means that they want something that they don't have that other people have. And as American citizens, it's important for us to understand that people are not out there making trouble just, just 
for the sake of making trouble. They they want something that's that they deserve that should be theirs as American citizens. And so when when you see people protest and don't think that they are just uh, agitators, these people are, are are freedom loving people like 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 we all are who just want what's uh, rightfully theirs. And, and so just keep an open, open mind when you see people advocating for their rights. Keith, that's really great. Thank you for that. And, and you know, um, we'll go another year and then we'll have you back. Okay. We'll see if it gets worse. I mean, the 24 elections coming up, which, <laughs> yes, yes, you know, it, 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 it ebbs and flows. And we hope that it, that it, that it flows more than it ebbs for, for, for progressive people. Well, I think that your optimism is just so incredibly important for us. So I, I appreciate that. And thanks Thank uh, for coming back on LA 2.0 radio. I wish you the best. And you. Uh, you and I, let's stay in touch because I think there's yes. some collaborating we need to do. I, I, I would like to have you come out to our school district. We'll see if, how, how that works out. Okay. okay. All right. Yep. Okay. Have, yep. Thank you, Ellie. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. okay. Uh, audience, that was uh, Dr. Keith Mays from the University of Minnesota. Uh, who teaches Af- African-American and African studies at the U. And when we come back from our break, uh, I'll talk, do my C-block and talk about my work as an idealist. Thanks. Bye-bye. We're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Okay, uh, Dr. Keith Mays. Yeah. Um, thank God he's an optimist, I, I will tell you. And uh, I enjoy talking with him. We'll have him back. We will. Uh, maybe in a year or so. We'll see where things stand. Okay, my C block, my work. And I don't have a whole lot of time here. Um, I'm going to tell you, Wednesday night this week, I had trouble sleeping. Um, I did. I... I I, I, I was having difficulty sleeping. I, you know, I made the mistake of looking at my news feed and uh, I saw right before I turned out the lights that Florida uh, was uh, – that a, a new bill had – as if there wasn't enough. I mean there have been more than 300 anti-LGBTQ bills this year introduced across the country in state legislatures. But Florida this week also had another bill introduced that would require uh, – Businesses, so you know, private employers in Florida, if their health care plan provides gender affirming care for adults. Now we're moving. You heard, you know, in the first clip of the show, Chase Strangio about children. Now Florida is targeting adults and saying that if a business, you know, through their insurance provides gender affirming care therapy or, you know, um, hormones or uh, gender confirmation surgery, uh, that 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 company will be financially responsible if their employee, even if it's a former employee, even if they've left, if the employee detransitions, that is, decides that it was a mistake, they need to go back to where they were before they transition, the company will be on the hook for all the medical costs, the therapeutic costs, for like as long as it takes, possibly for the entire rest of the employee's life, Okay. Now think about that. I mean, what company if, – if that's what the law is in Florida, what company is going to offer that kind of coverage and what insurance, medical insurance, let alone the, jet, the liability insurer, is going to provide 
that kind of coverage. What it's going to do, that, that just is going to effectively just stop in its tracks the idea that employers would provide coverage, medical insurance coverage uh, for, <laughs> for gender-affirming care for adults. It, it, and and the, this Florida law also provides that if the employer pays for the cost for the employee to go out of the state to go get gender-affirming care, it doesn't matter. They're still going to be on the hook. Even if the employee goes somewhere else, some other place to get the gender-affirming care, the, the employer is going to be on the hook if they, if they paid for the cost of them going out of the state. Now, notice how that also could be analogized to abortion. And then the next day, on Thursday, I, I read that Texas had introduced a law to criminalize all gender-affirming care for adults, which, um, which would ban insurers in Texas, okay? Texas insurers who provide, even if they don't provide gender-affirming care in Florida, but they're doing business, you know, I mean, the policies change and all that stuff, but if they're doing business in Texas with Texas governmental entities, okay, like Medicare or something like that, but the employer, but the insurance company is providing gender-affirming care, say in Minnesota, okay, for Minnesota employers or whatever, the Texas law says that 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 insurance company can't do business in, in Texas regardless. Even if they're not offering gender-affirming care in Texas, it is a – and that same law increases the liability for doctors. Like, you know, malpractice coverage, you know, it, it essentially strips away malpractice coverage for doctors related to gender-affirming care. Again, what they're doing is they're going after insurance. They're going after – those that take care of the risks of being a doctor, okay, they're, they're going after them, taking – and essentially it's going to cause – it's going to cause doctors, medical professionals, therapeutic professionals not to want to treat transgender people. And that's the whole idea because if you can't treat them, if you can't get treatment if you're trans, okay, you can't transition. And if you can't transition, you're not going to be in the public. Nobody's going to see you. This is what kept me up on Wednesday night and then on Thursday. I am feeling at a loss, everyone. I should be doing more than what I'm doing right now, as I said to Dr. Mays. Stay tuned on that front. Okay, um, big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. I know we pretty heavy on transgender stuff today. I'm sorry, but guess what? We're under, my community is under attack, and I'm tired of taking it. I'm just tired of taking it. Okay? Brett, you did great. Um, everyone, I'll be back next week. Hopefully I'll have a guest. We're working on that. In the meantime, go out and do something good. Okay? Do something good to make the world better. Talk, talk to you. Have a better, great weekend. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.